When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, tech fans, and welcome in to the latest Tech Sideline podcast, originating from TSL's high-tech studios in the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. Whether you're watching or listening live or archived, whether you're on Facebook, YouTube, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get the Tech Sideline podcast, we are so glad you could join us today on Monday, October 14th. And we recap a 34-17 win for Virginia Tech over Rhode Island. Our crew today, the same as always. we got Malcolm Stewart behind the scenes producing. On the podcast set, our founder and head honcho, Will Stewart. Our managing editor, Chris Coleman. And I'm your podcast host, Evan Hughes. Thanks so much for being with us every day. It is a great day to talk Virginia Tech athletics on the Tech Sideline <laughs> podcast. This week and every week, the TSL podcast is presented by the Fisher Law Firm, Virginia's trusted DUI and traffic defense firm dedicated to defending individuals charged with traffic related offenses from their offices in blacksburg and roanoke the fisher law firm handles cases throughout the commonwealth of virginia to date the firm has defended more than thirty thousand people charged with traffic related offenses for a free consultation call anytime day or evening toll free at 1-800-680-7031 again that's 1-800-680-7031 or you can email them at info at fisherlegal.com gentlemen good morning How's everything going? It is a chilly day in Blacksburg. I always like to kind of give a weather update on how we're progressing. <laughs> yes, I've noticed that. Uh, it is kind of cold, not to, not, not going to lie, coming in early this Monday yeah, morning. You broke but, out uh, sweatpants last night. Yeah, yeah, did you? For the first time. Will, how are you doing? How's your weekend? Doing well. Uh, so this is important for this podcast. Um, I uh, had to so, – uh, so clearly Malcolm is a Virginia Tech student. Our middle son, Ronan, goes to South Carolina – South Carolina had a good day Saturday. Um, didn't get a chance to watch it, but that, that's very exciting that they knocked off Georgia. But he was home for a break, so I spent all day yesterday uh, returning him to Columbia. So uh, my wife drove down in the morning. We were there. I drove back at night. Didn't get home till 1030. Oh. So I did not. I'm, I'm, I, I can't remember how I wanted to phrase it, but I have not watched. I have not rewatched Virginia Tech's game against Rhode Island so I'm coming in with uh, no review just kind of winging it now I know I know Chris wrote about it yesterday and, and looked some things up there so. was a 22 minute condensed version on, uh, oh so online. I could have watched, so watched that yeah yeah well I am um, and, and ACC digital network does that yes. right it okay. doesn't show every single play but shows a lot of them. so let's talk about YouTube a little bit first of all if you're watching us on YouTube don't forget to go down and click the like button and subscribe yeah um, and if you have not, there's two resources on YouTube that you really need to, you know, be on and pay attention to. One of them is Hokey Tapes. So uh, YouTube.com slash Hokey Tapes. And uh, I don't know, I guess Hokey Tapes got their start, you know, maybe doing VCR tapes for people of games. But uh, he archives uh, every uh, full length Virginia Tech game broadcast on, uh, on his channel on uh, YouTube. And sometimes, like, he, it took him a while to get the Duke game up. You can tell he's a fan. I, I don't know who it is. I have no idea. But 
he'll give, he'll be a little slow to get the losses up sometimes, <laughs> particularly if they're you know historic types of losses. But uh, he typically has every game up, and that's the full broadcast. Um, I don't recall if he removes commercials or not. I think he does. Oh, he does. Yeah. But the other resource is <clears throat> the ACC Digital Network. Excuse me. <clears throat> and they are youtube.com slash ACCDN. And they will put up uh, two to five minute highlight packages of each game. But something they, and, and I don't know how hit or miss they are with this. I don't know if they do it for every game or not. But they do condensed versions um, where they will. It's uh, one, one of the things I love, and I hope the ACC network does this, is the Pac-12 network does Pac-12 football in 60. And I think I've talked about this before, where they'll do a 60-minute broadcast, which includes commercials. And they run all every play of the game, and they cut out the jabber in between the plays. So it's, it's a real cool way of, like when Washington State and somebody went into the UCLA. 60. UCLA, yeah. I, watch, I actually watched that on Pac-12 network. But the ACC digital network does that on their YouTube channel. So like Chris said, you can get a 22 minute condensed version of the game. Now that won't include every single play. I've noticed that they do drop some plays, but still it's a good way to kind of get a feel for the game and, and see what happens. So quick, did you drive the new truck down to South Carolina yesterday? No, my wife has a new car too, uh, because that's just how it works sometimes. <laughs> um, she's got a Honda Passport, not to do a commercial, but they're pretty good. It's a vehicle they slot in between the uh, the CRV, which which was her old car, and uh, the Pilot. So it's like a, it's like a Pilot with six inches lopped off, is the way somebody described it. So it's only a two row, but I think it's pretty smooth. It was it yeah. was pretty good. Yeah. So um, that's my story. And I do need to also say that I got to go back down to South Carolina this coming weekend. I've got an, I need to be nice to my niece. I've got a niece who's getting married Friday, kind of an unusual day to get married. She's getting married in South Carolina. She is a South Carolina graduate and a football fan, and she scheduled her wedding for the fall. So uh, the instant we knew the date of the wedding and, and we knew Virginia Tech's football schedule, I compared them, and I'm like, hey, great. That's the best home game of the year. And so I'll be, I'll be watching it. You know, the good thing is the wedding's Friday. Right. And Tech plays Saturday. So I'll be able to watch the game. Bummer for her that she didn't schedule it around <laughs> last weekend when Georgia, you know, ended up losing to South Carolina. Obviously, you know, yeah. tough to schedule I think, that. But. Uh, well, if she had a lot of South Carolina friends, I'm sure she would have had some uh, people skipping that wedding. I skipped a wedding once for the spring game. Oh, so for the spring game. Spring see, game. Yeah, that's dedication. See, now, see, I tell people, I'm like, look, that's my job. Eh? I, I write about the team. I'm not coming to your wedding. Don't expect me there. It's also what I want to do. But <laughs> see, yeah, so so I think they're hosting Florida this weekend. So yeah, so it could be two big wins in a row. Yeah, yeah, it's a good. Uh, CC, how's your weekend? How you doing? I'm good. It was normal weekend. He doesn't okay. have quite as much to say as I do. I mean, I went to the game, and then <laughs> Sunday I wrote an article and went to the gym, and that's pretty much it. That's what I do every weekend. There you go. Yeah. Uh, All right. Well, life of leisure must be nice. <laughs> must be nice. Well, we've got a lot to get into today on the podcast. Of course, we'll be recapping the uh, 34-17 win for Tech over Rhode Island. Uh, we'll talk about the offense, the defense. Of course, Wednesday podcast will be a Tech North Carolina preview. But first, I'm going to throw it over to Will to get things going. Uh, he's going to talk about his experience in Lane Stadium from this past weekend. I'll leave it at that and throw it over to Will. Right, so uh, since I didn't have a chance to rewatch the game and don't have a whole lot to say about the game itself, Chris will kind of be the leader on that one, I think, for this podcast. Uh, I I, I wanted, kind of wanted to talk about my experience at the game, because, and this is, I'll, I'll admit ahead of time, this is very 
me centric and how I view things. It's not necessarily how others view things, although I'll bet you a lot of our subscribers will will agree. Um, so for Saturday's game, like it's it's to to quote Tom Jones, it's, I always use a phrase it's not unusual when people make fun of me. It's, it's not unusual for me to sit at a game alone for a quarter or a half. You know, like somebody will give me a ticket and I'll go sit in that seat and then I'll go find my buddies and sit with them. Um, but Saturday, my, my daughter, who's in high school, took a friend of hers to the game. So I had a couple tickets for them. So I helped them find their seats. And then, you know, there was seats, open seats, a couple rows back. So I just sat down there and watched the first half. And it was down in section four, which is on the, the press box side down towards the student end. And by the way, as a tangent, I noticed something really odd. I've sat in the east stands before in like section 11, which is in the middle. And some of the stuff they play on Hokie Vision is just blasting volume. And it's, and it's uncomfortable to sit. This is probably like row, I think it was row Triple H, Section 11. Over in Section 4, which is actually a lot closer to Hokie Vision, I really didn't think the uh, uh, volume was egregious. So it's kind of weird. I was down lower. Maybe the speakers are up higher and it's more a direct line over on the east stands. But... Man, I've, I've had games where I've been up like midway through the East Stands, and I can't even talk to the person next to me. But that's a tangent. So I'm sitting there, and I'm watching the game from Section 4 by myself. And I just had a, had a, a bit of a revelation for me, probably mid-late second quarter. I despise all of the preening and dancing on the Jumbotron on Hokey Vision. It's, there's an unending torrent of people, you know, dancing around and laughing at themselves on the Jumbotron. And um, I take my football very seriously. You know, I, I don't go to the games to to be silly and, and whatever. So for, for me, and, 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 and I know this is sounding bad to some people, I can, just, I can just see people out there right now thinking, I don't know, man. I take my wife and kids, and we have a great time. We see the Hokie Bird. We go to Hokie Village. The kids love it. That's just not me. I just, I just really can't stand it. But then at, at halftime, I went out and I found two friends that I had over in the Section 11, and everything was fine. We actually sat there and talked football. They paid attention to the game, and I find that, I find that that was mitigated. So I learned something about myself, and so I had this conversation with myself after the game, and I'm like, Dude, just don't look up there. Just don't do it. You know, it's not so much the things they do with the promos and the music and stuff like that. I know that annoys some people. And, and actually, for, for there, there's a little bit of uh, there's a there's an angle to this that first started to bother me. What year was it that Miami came in and curb stomped 2014. Tech? 2014 Miami comes in and they just destroyed tech. They were leading them 30 to nothing. And, and this is a little bit of hokey trivia. You know, Virginia Tech's got this. Oh, it's probably pushing 300 games now where they've scored. They haven't been shut out since the 1995 Cincinnati game. And they almost got shut out that night. And the shutout was broken by Mark Leal throwing a touchdown pass to a freshman wide receiver, Isaiah Ford. Very late in the game with like a minute left to go to keep that scoring streak alive. But I think it was that game where I first noticed. I mean, I was miserable watching Miami just take tech behind the woodshed and there was a constant stream of people dancing and smiling on Hope 30 to Vision. nothing yeah and people are <laughs> dancing yeah and I remember thinking what is wrong with you 
we are getting stomped and you're having a woo a good time so it goes way back to that that was five years ago but it, i think it reached peak annoyance on uh on on saturday for me and so i learned something about myself i'm like you know you need to not pay any attention to the scoreboard unless you're looking up there to see stats you know one day i'll go to all our road games one year and then compare what they do during tv timeouts to what we do uh i, I do know that there's there's a lot more time you got to fill these days because of television TV timeouts, TV yeah. timeouts and stuff and honestly it's the easiest thing you can possibly do is put on some music and pan around to the crowd. I mean, that's literally the easiest thing you can do. And, so that's what they do. And I think they're trying to make, you know, there are certain, like, like especially if you think of the kids, you know, if the kids are there, and if they get on camera, that will be something they remember, that they were on the big, huge screen. So that's a way of creation that, creating that emotional tie that used to occur just because you were going to see the game. Something I was thinking about this morning as I was preparing for this little mild rant was, I remember, so I became a Dolphins football fan at probably the end of the 73 season. I think that was the year that they uh, went undefeated. Mm, no, I think that was the year after. I'm, I'm getting crossed up. Yeah, great. You're, you're sounding really bright here, Will. But I just remember. <laughs> what a that, fan you are. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. I was a little kid. I'm like eight years old. I, I sort of watched the Super Bowl. And so I decided I liked the Dolphins. So the next year, I, I remember the first football game I ever got worked up over was uh, – I was watching the Dolphins and the Rams, and the Dolphins were losing. So this, this is uh, right. So, so I'm remembering the '73 Super Bowl, which would have been probably a win over the uh, Vikings, right? Yeah. Um, so I remember the next fall, 1974, the Dolphins are playing the Rams, and the Dolphins are are losing late in the game, and I'm mad. I'm livid. I'm eight years old, nine by then. I'm, I'm, I'm and I run upstairs and I like pray to God for the Dolphins to come back and win the game. Now, you ready for the punchline? It's a preseason game. I'm like nine. I didn't know the difference, you know. I just wanted the Dolphins to win. So that used to be like like you love the Jets. Chris was really ticked about the Braves. Last I made the mistake year. of bringing that up this morning, yeah, by the way. Don't talk. I should have done <laughs> it. I'm sorry. I was trying right, to so, console so him, so and it did not right go well. Then. So we have these um, these emotional ties to these teams, and we remember we remember being little, and that's when those bonds were forged. Sure. And it used to be over the wins and losses and what happened on the field. And I don't know what it is now because kids have so many things pulling them in so many different directions. The first thing kids fall in love with these days is their phone or that first kid tablet that they get from mom and dad where they can watch Dora the Explorer over and over and over or whatever they're watching these days. So that's a big, long tangent to talk about how I get that you're trying to create a moment for a kid that might bring him back. But what you're doing is you are building a, a different sort of uh, bond. It's the bond with the Jumbotron, and maybe I'll get on it. Uh, you're not really paying attention to what's happening on the field. So... Who knows what all this stuff is going to look like long term. And I admit this whole rant has a, a very strong get off my lawn quality to it. But I own that. I own that, you know, at my age, the way we uh, formed the bonds with our teams was different. It's it, bluntly put, it's important to my business that Virginia Tech win. So a lot of people, when they get older, they just don't live and die with the wins and losses like they used to. My business lives and dies with the wins and losses. So that that's, makes it important to me. But, uh, but, you know, I own the fact that not everybody feels the way I do. So this is all a big, long story about me realizing, dude, you need to stop looking at that thing because all it does is make you mad. So. 
There you go. Um, well, good news is for you, you in the stands, though, you, you did get to see a Virginia Tech win from this weekend. I did, and I had good seats. And the Hokies pulled <laughs> off a 34-17 win over Rhode Island. Let's kind of get into breaking it down as the Hokies go to 4-2 and two on the season. Uh, I'll, I'll kind of just ask you gener generically, as I do each and every week, how would you assess the win for Virginia Tech, Chris? Oh, I was good with it. Um, I thought Rhode Island came in with a good game plan. Tech only had eight possessions, not counting that those last two handoffs by Quincy Patterson. Tech only had eight possessions in that game. The fewest amount they'd had in any game before that this year was 11. So Rhode Island really wanted to keep the ball out of Tech's hands and, and limit the number of plays. So Tech ran 68 plays in just eight possessions. All their drives, except for the one drive where they punted, all their drives were really long. So they ended up running a decent amount of plays despite only having eight possessions. But, you know, Rhode Island just wanted to limit Virginia Tech's opportunities to score because they knew that was their only chance to be in the, in the game. And they did a good job of that. Threw a lot of short passes. Um, now, some of that, though, was Virginia Tech's fault. Like when it's third and 19 and Reggie Floyd misses the tackle and Rhode Island goes down and gets a field goal, it should have been Virginia Tech returning to punt after that play and then going down and scoring a touchdown. So, you know, we talk about – youth on the team and youth is an issue youth is preventing this team for, from doing some things I mean the, those guys will get better theoretically as, as they get older you know what, what what really prevented Saturday's game from being about 50 to 3 what was just two or three upperclassmen that just didn't didn't play all that well right um you know, every time they, they so, so let me interrupt and ask about the play you're talking about with Reggie. Was that the third nineteen? The little crossing pattern, and um, he just whiffed on the guy. Went for like fifty yards. Yeah, right. yeah. So at it that was point, ten nothing Tech. Now I do remember this. At that point in time, Tech Tech was winning the yardage battle, some ridiculous number like one hundred and seventy five to twelve or something so, yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. And then that play occurs, and, and and Reggie had the coverage. He just blew his angle and missed the missed tackle, the tackle. You know. Yeah. And, and then suddenly it's a ball game and Rhode Island's picking up some yardage and, and holding on to the football. Right. And, uh, you know, I think they, they did a cornerback rotation because – and that's the other point about Rhode Island I want to make. Those receivers are really, Isaiah really good. Coulter. Coulter and uh, what was the other guy's name? Aaron Parker's Parker. Right? Yeah, yeah, they both went to the same high school. Crazy as it sounds. Man. Uh, do, you, do you know off the top of your head where that is? Yeah, it was uh, Richard Carmichael's high school. Kids, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so – because they're really good. They're the best receivers Virginia Tech has faced this year, without question. And they would both start for Virginia Tech, and they would both probably start for pretty much every team Virginia Tech faces from here on out, except for maybe Notre Dame. I, I mean, don't keep in mind, with receivers. when the week started, Coach Wente, not to cut you yeah. off, oh, was yeah. saying that these guys can play in the NFL. Yes. I mean, they're, they're physical receivers. Well, and it yeah, reminds me of af the, the aftermath of the ODU game last year, you know, knowing yeah. that a couple of their defensive linemen were good, and those wide receivers, they look like NFL wide receivers yeah. that day. Real quick. And, they, and they are in the NFL. Yeah. Yeah, so. Coulter, nine receptions, 152 yards. Mm -hmm. Parker, five receptions, 64 yards. Right, okay, so. Knowing they're facing the best wide receivers they're going to face this year, which is odd considering it's Rhode Island. You know, Tech went with a cornerback rotation probably just to relieve some mental stress on Caleb Farley and Jermaine Waller. Uh, didn't work. Every time Quillen came in the game, they immediately targeted him. And they targeted him five times. Four of the five passes were completed. The one that was incomplete was he was covering a tight end. So, uh it just didn't go well. So whenever Quillen was in the game, they torched him. And then they torched Reggie Floyd. Uh, you know, that's good coaching. I don't think there's a lot of film on Quillen. And for their coaching staff to know. There's enough film to know that he can't cover. Yeah. Um, 
He, uh, you know, his strength is taking good angles to tacklers and an open he, field He's tackling. the one I'm always saying is a good open field tackler, yeah, yeah. right? I love yeah, the way yeah, he tackles. for sure. Uh, but he, he's Tech's worst coverage cornerback, in my opinion. And that's not Chris and, taking shots. That's Chris looking things up on pro football focus. Uh, using my eyes and data and that's data, available. Yeah, yeah right. Know, uh, I always like to clarify that. We're not just mouthing off here. We, right. We try to do our research. and So when they threw at Jermaine Waller, they completed two out of seven attempts, right? Right. They completed 50% of the time. I think they only threw it Farley four times, maybe. Right. Uh, they pretty much completely avoided him. Uh, and even one of the ones they did complete, it was just a great play, and he had perfect coverage. But uh, So they went after Quillen, and he had a bad game, and Floyd had a bad game, and they're both seniors. Uh, and then, you know, Hazleton. I know Hazleton made a few plays, but – you know, I, I think he left about three balls out there, especially that one deep that one over the middle yeah. uh, that a player his caliber should – he should be making those plays. And, and he would agree with that. He did he, in he, the post game. Right, correct. Yeah. So, um, I, that, that game could have been about 50-3. to three. Even, even with Rhode Island's very good game plan, it was just a few of Tech's upperclassmen that, that held them back, I think. So we, we knew going into this game that no matter what happened, it could not help Virginia Tech in terms of bowl eligibility, win or lose. So when you look at it from a whole, what are the positive takeaways from that game? Well, Hunden Hooker was really good. Um, I, I, he made some throws in there that I wasn't quite sure he could make. Uh, they schemed a lot of big plays against uh, Miami, obviously, so the tight ends, and they did some of that against Rhode Island. But, you know, he made some downfield throws that were right on the money, like the one Hazleton dropped. I mean, that, yeah. was, that was perfect. Um, so I thought he took a step forward. Uh, I wasn't quite sure about his accuracy and his ability to, you know, drop dimes down the field right in the receiver's hands. Didn't uh, he throw he one did down that. the sideline that Mitchell made a really he nice did. catch on? Yeah. Yeah, right right was, between, right between two defenders, yeah. yeah. So I, I was impressed with him. I, I thought he answered some more questions. But his biggest challenge will come next week when he faces an ACC team that has two games of film. It's it's going to get harder. It's going to get harder. The numbers on Hooker: sixteen of twenty-seven, two hundred and sixty-one yards, three touchdowns, along a forty. Now, now, now let's interrupt. Sixteen. It could have been seventeen of twenty-seven for three hundred and thirty-one yards and four touchdowns. Yeah. Right? If Hazleton catches that ball, yeah, right. sometimes one play makes a big difference. And, in a, in and a stat. maybe the biggest stat of all is the fact that through two starts. No turnovers. turnovers. Yeah. So, Will, I'll ask you this. Uh, I always like to kind of go back to school. They do this fun segment with Burnup sometimes. Back to school. Put on your professor hat. If you had a grade hand and hooker through two weeks, what grade do you give him and why? Wow. Uh, you know, it, one of the things we talked about last week, I talked about it in my article last week, and I think we talked about it on the podcast, is what's not being discussed much is how well he's running the offense. You can you can tell that, um, you know, there's no substitute for actual in-game experience. But but he was ready. He he, he is prepared, and and there's you don't see a deer in the headlights look at all. Um, I'm not smart enough to know how much are they challenging him with, and how is how is he responding to that. Um, I I would have to say B plus. The only way I could give you give a higher grade than that would be. You know, maybe a higher completion percentage. Uh, I'm thinking back to the Miami game. I think there were a few throws he missed. Um, again, without having reviewed the film on the Rhode Island game, I, I can't recall right off the top of my head, you know. Um, I thought, this is a tangent, it doesn't really factor into the grade. I thought he looked more explosive running the football against Miami than he did uh, um, Rhode Island. Uh, 
I noticed a lot of missed tackles against Miami, and I didn't really notice any watching the Rhode Island Only game. 43 yards on the ground this week for yeah, Hooker. Yeah. Um, but, again, who knows? Maybe that's the types of plays they were running, the way Rhode Island was scheming. Who knows? Um, but, uh, no, nah, for, for a player where he is in his career, I'd, I'd have to say B-plus, maybe pushing A-minus. I've been pretty impressed. But as we've talked about, it could get more difficult from here on. Professor, that, Professor that, Coleman? That's where I'd go. Um, I'd B-plus probably. Um, the only thing preventing him getting an A for me is a couple overthrows against Miami. That's pretty much it. Uh, I think he's done a great job. So I feel like the, when I was prepping for this, the one thing that crossed my mind is talking about someone who's really we, – we talked about we've talked about how he's done in previous years from the start of the year to the end of the year. And someone who I feel like is having a breakout midseason campaign is Deshaun McLeese. Yeah. Over 100 yards rushing against Duke. Um, 12 attempts, 124 yards against Rhode Island in a touchdown. I mean, Deshaun McLeese compared to King who only had six touches for 30 yards – Deshaun McLeese is having a breakout midseason for it. It's almost like since Jerry Kill got here since then. Exactly. Deshaun McLeese has been fantastic. What can you say about him running the Jerry football? Jerry Kill came here, and his initial responsibility was to help with the running game. And the running game has gotten better since he got here. And part of that, of course, is putting Hendon Hooker in the game. Uh, you know, maybe Kill was part of the influence that made them make that move. I really don't know. Um, I do think – you know, Justin Fuente said this past week, you know, as bad as the Duke game was, if you go back and watch the film, you could see little incremental things happening in the running game where you could tell that it was getting better. And to me, like McLeese, he just seems like he's more patient and has better vision. Uh, slipping a few more tackles here and there, but he just looks like a better running back now. So the interesting thing is he's actually putting up big numbers in the middle of the season, which is new for him. The opposite, total opposite of what he's done in the past. In the past, it's always been first game of the season, last game of the season, really good when he's healthy and everything. Um, So, you know, I guess he's healthy now, and they are limiting his workload. Like, he only had 12 carries against Rhode Island, which is good. He doesn't need to have 20 carries. He's not big enough. Um, So I'm I'm happy with what's happened there, and I do – personally feel that that's some kind of a jerry kill influence because uh, i think his number one responsibility i mean they said it, brad cornelson said it number one thing he can help with right away is the running game yeah. and i don't know exactly how he's helping with it as far as and if you asked they wouldn't tell they you. wouldn't tell you yeah. as far as schemes or or maybe even doing some coaching of the coaches as, as far as uh how they develop how they coach i, I don't know um but i do know that it's gotten better since he's gotten here yeah. Uh, that that's what I know. So what were McLeese's stats? Yeah, so twelve attempts, hundred and twenty four yards, and a touchdown he averaged ten point three runs a carry. So so yards a carry. I don't know if you know this off the top of your head or not, um, but is that three straight games with a hundred yard rusher? I, I just checked. He only had uh just over fifty against Miami. Okay. Yeah, he had fourteen for Fifty-eight or fifty-nine or something against Miami. Okay. Uh, he had a good game, yards per carry wise. So know. two of the last three have gone over a hundred. Yes. It will. It's safe to say that this three-game stretch might be the best three-game stretch of Deshaun McLeese's career here. Probably at Tech. up there. Yeah, I think so. I mean, Chris is more dialed into those kind of he, things than I am. He only has one carry in the last three games in which he lost yardage. That's big, um, and that's one of the things that I'm not going to sit here and you know spit out stats or anything like that but that's one of the things i pay attention to when i look at stats is yeah yeah the guy had x carries for x yards but how many yards did he lose you know and and you 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 don't want your running backs to be losing yardage you know that that indicates some some problems 
your quarterback loses yardage, you know, that that's like stat, uh, sacks and things like that. But no. So so f- that's a big deal. So bad news is uh, Sean King is hurt. Yeah. Um, AC joint in his shoulder, I've heard, I'm told. Um, and that's just what happens when you have to play guys. When you're a small when, guy. When, the, when, they're, when you're undersized and you have to play them before they're and, and you've, you've written about that over and over. How one of the one of the more uh, susceptible to injury parts of, of the young players, true freshmen who have to play against grown men, is the shoulder. It's the shoulder. We've um, seen it year after year, and it's it's a never ending cycle. One mistake can lead to something happening five years later. Like if we had redshirted uh, Stephen Peoples in 2015, <laughs> and he was playing right now as a redshirt senior. I mean, maybe Kishon, we're redshirting Kishon King, yeah. and and he can just lift weights every day instead of preparing for a game on Saturday. And maybe next year as a redshirt freshman, he's ten to fifteen pounds heavier, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And instead, you know, he just got here in August, and he's you're in the weight room a little bit, but you don't want to wear your guys out. Like during the season, weightlifting is more about maintaining, right. so he can't really make a big push in the weight room until after the season is over. And uh, that's hard to do if your shoulder's banged up. So it's yet, a vicious, vicious cycle. It, build, it builds on itself. It yeah. does. Um, so I, I, I did have a conversation. Uh, oh, gosh, I think it was the night before the Miami game with someone who's related to Stephen Peoples. And the wish there is that he had been redshirted. Yeah. And I was like, I agree. I agree with you and Stephen. Yeah. It's that point in the podcast. Always it is. shirting is yep. brought Every, up. Everybody yep. drink. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, Taj Gary did get four carries towards yeah. that. He almost scored, stepped out at the one. Now, he's a guy that reminds me of Peoples with his build and his body lean. And he looked like that in high school. He had a good set of hands on him in high school. Uh, I don't know what that means. Uh, I don't know if that means they've decided – that he's above Caleb Stewart. Obviously, Wheatley's not going to get in the rotation at running back. If he had, he would have done it by now. Yeah. Uh, another another young guy with shoulder problems, right? Yeah. right. Uh, Can you give us a little bit of a – just for those that don't know a lot about Taj Gary, like what his scouting report was yeah, coming into Virginia Tech? Sure. Is he a redshirt guy this year? He, what do you think? Well, we'll find out. Uh, now that Kashawn King is hurt, we don't know how long he'll be out. Um, I, I do think – I would like Virginia Tech to have a bigger back in there. But I would still love to redshirt Todd Gary. Uh, he broke. I mean, he he broke his leg last November, or December in the playoffs. I mean, th- this was always, and it was a bad lower, bro- you know, broken leg. It wasn't some little tiny fracture. It was one that he had major surgery on. Yeah. So this is supposed to be a full redshirt year for him. The fact that we ha- that we played him the other day, I I don't know if that's them saying, "Wow, he's our third choice back right now," or if it's just oh. We're up two touchdowns late against Rhode Island. Let's just get him a little bit yeah, of experience. Yeah, let's, let's get the kids some play. Uh, I, guess, I guess we'll find out at the press conference today. Uh, scouting report, very similar to Stephen Peoples, in my opinion. Uh, I don't know at this stage, coming off his broken leg, that he's quite as explosive as Peoples was at the end of uh, – But you know, Peoples last year I thought was pretty explosive, or at least he'd hit the hole so hard it seemed like he was really explosive. But he could run by people last year. People, uh, uh, he could. So uh, – Peoples could run by people. That, that just, uh, <laughs> yeah, but uh, peoples could run by folks. Yeah, so I would, I would still rather redshirt Gary. I, I mean, you know, I'd rather redshirt everybody. Right. But uh, that's the big question to me: is do they view him as the third choice back now? Uh, it gets down to that discussion of is he necessary when you get down to the end of the season? 
is playing him necessary to helping you uh, win that UVA game and go to a bowl game. And, and there's no and there update on Jalen Holston, correct, who was injured against Boston College? I mean, that required leg surgery. So he's not coming back. I was about year. to make some smart Alec report uh, re- remark about. You know, we we got the detailed report on him last week. I can't remember where I put it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but even if he came back like this week and started running this week, he'd have to get back into playing shape. He'd still have to build his strength back up in that sure. leg. So yeah. you, you couldn't possibly expect him to uh, be a contributor this year. Now he can take a redshirt because he didn't redshirt in the past and be a redshirt junior. Yeah, that's my next question. Right. Had he redshirt? Yeah. You were breaking down the Rhode Island Virginia Tech game on the Tech Sideline Podcast presented by the Fisher Law Firm. Continuing on the offensive side, moved to the receivers. We talked about Hazleton almost having that big touchdown catch, but he did haul in two touchdowns. Mm-hmm. He did catch five passes for 93 yards. I think the question about Hazleton being 100%, I think he showed against Rhode Island that is he back to full uh, physic- game in Hazleton? He's physically 100%. You know, when he t- took that pass on the sideline and then ran by both of those Rhode Island Stiff guys. Stiff-armed those guys. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and he, he looks – honestly, he does look faster to me. You know, he dropped about 8 to 10 pounds, I think. And he does look faster and a little more agile and more explosive this year now that I think he's 100% healthy. So that so that's a good thing. I think he's got to work his way back to getting his timing down and just getting back in the swing of things. Um, but, you know, hands were an issue for him at times last year too. Sure. This is nothing new. Yeah, so – Generally, they were like over the middle when he was about to get hit, though. And none of these were like that. Right. Yeah. Uh, Is he a Richard Jr.? Yes, he is. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, Dalton Keene, four touchdowns in the last two games. Should have drafted him on your college fantasy team. That's right. And and James Mitchell, that big 27-yard catch. So, you know, we talked about the tight ends the day they had against Miami. Not maybe the same volume in the touchdowns, but Mitchell and Keene both involved in the passing game. I'm sure that's a positive. It is. It's definitely a positive. Uh, well, honestly, though, I view Mitchell as a wide receiver, an outside receiver. Um, that's where he lines up most of the time. He had his hand on the ground one time that I remember, and it didn't go well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, just that was a uh, – on the third down play on the first drive of the game when we tried to run Hendon to the right. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Not right. to, it wasn't I all rem- Mitchell. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, the play wasn't all Mitchell's fault, but he's not a he's not a good blocker as a tight end at all. And, um, they, and they think Gallo is, right? Yeah, and I haven't looked at PFF to see if Gallo played this right. past week. If he did play on Saturday, then his chances of redshirting are gone. Right, I remember uh, looking. He had played four played out of the four. first five right. games. Right, so if he didn't play against Rhode Island, of all teams, then – you know the red plan shirt is, to is red still shirt. on the table. Yes, yeah. Uh, yeah. we'll see. Uh, I, I, if you play him, you need to play him, and he needs to be that guy on that play with his hand in the ground. Yeah. In my opinion, then commit um, right. In yeah, if you, if, you pl- staff, if you play commit. him, commit to it. Commit yeah. to actually playing him because Cole Pettit's not here anymore. To yeah, right, it, exactly. <laughs> um, and you couldn't do it with uh, Tanuta this past week because you were playing him at right tackle. Yeah, that's right. what that's what they were doing with him. Which leads me to the final point of the offense before we step aside and uh, take a break and get back to the defense. Uh, offensive line, what they were talking a lot about, a lot about in, uh, in post game was Austin Cannon mm-hmm. getting a lot of time at a right guard. How did you think he performed in the offensive line as a whole? He seemed to do fine. Um, uh, I thought the left side of the line in particular was the was the best side of, of the for Tech this game. Lasita Smith graded out really well as not Lasita Smith. Uh, Christian Darisaw graded out really well as usual. Cannon got 18 snaps last week at right guard, and this week he got the vast majority of the snaps at left guard. Lasita Smith only played 12 snaps. I think he's hurt. 
Uh, it's possible that the, he's got some kind of an injury, or it's possible they're just taking. Uh, they just use the Rhode Island game to take a look at different personnel packages and try to figure out who their best five is. Um, because Tanuta played most of the game at right tackle, also I believe. I haven't looked at the snap cats, yeah. counts there, but he, he, I know the second drive of the game, he and Cannon were in there. Again, again, I, I spent the entire day in a car yesterday. <laughs> Not the entire day, but most of it. But people are, I think people are talking. So there, I think there's a rumor going around that he's hurt. And in going through the photos that our two, two photographers sent us, there is a picture of Smith standing on the sideline uh, later in the game. I, I was kind of skimming things. He's he's holding something like really? uh, I don't because I actually what. saw him jumping up and down and celebrating. Okay, so that's the good. That's so good. I, I don't know. All right, all right. Yeah. So uh, Cannon gets playing time, and then yeah. Christian Dare saw towards the end of the game looked like at one he's, point he's one of the highest grading offensive linemen in the ACC this year. By the way, wow. Yeah, um, he's having a great year. Now you don't notice when one offensive lineman is great and the rest of them are, are mediocre to below average, right? Yeah. You don't notice that one guy. You just see the play not working because the rest of them are mediocre to below average. But uh, Christian Darrensaw. Well, wasn't, wasn't Dwayne Brown on, on some of Virginia Tech's worst offenses? Absolutely. Yeah. He, yeah. he absolutely was. Um, I, I, I'm sorry, you were going to bring up another No, thing. no, no, that was perfect. Yeah. No, that was a great segue for us to uh, to head into our first time out. We've got a lot to talk about on the defense and uh, who stood out in the stat column. We'll talk about Alan Tisdale, Dax Hollyfield, Jamari Connor, and more. We'll step aside for a timeout, though. You're listening to the Tech Sideline Podcast presented by the Fisher Law Firm. If you have received a DUI or other traffic-related offense, the road ahead can seem uncertain. Here at Fisher Law Firm, we have a team that is with you every step of the way. We have the experience that comes along with having defended more than 30,000 criminal and traffic cases statewide and the expertise to get the job done. Call anytime, day or evening, for your free consultation or a complimentary copy of my book. Don't forget to ask us about our free appeal guarantee. To learn how we can help solve your problem, check us out at FisherLegal.com. This is Jonathan Fisher, Class of 98. Let's go Hokies. Our thanks to the Fisher Law Firm for presenting the Tech Sideline podcast each and every week. Welcome back aboard. We've got Malcolm Stewart behind the scenes producing, Will Stewart, Chris Coleman, and I'm Evan Hughes on the podcast set. We transition from the offensive side of the ball to the defensive side of the ball. And, you know, for the Hokies, only three sacks against Rhode Island, but a couple of guys really stood out in the box uh, in the box score. Of course, Rayshard Hashby is your leading tackler, eight tackles, seven solo tackles. I, You know, I want to take a minute on him because I think we almost take him for granted. Like, each week, Tech fans expect him to have those numbers. But when you look at his career, coming from Elsie Bird High School, a powerhouse in Richmond, to the development of Tech, what has he meant to this defense? How has he gotten better from each year? Well, he's been the most consistent player overall the last two years. You could argue that he was the only consistent player last year outside of Ricky Walker, who spent most hurt, of the year yeah. banged up. So uh, I think he's certainly meant a lot to it. Um, I, I'd like to uh, move Dax there and give him some competition. But, uh, but you know, overall, uh, he's been Virginia Tech's most consistent defender. And he wasn't a highly touted kid. I mean, if you look at him, you would never guess he was a football player. He's just one of the. He's one of the. Like he's like Derek Hopkins looked at defensive tackle. Yeah, you just yeah. never guessed that guy was a football player. And you know that gets back to that whole discussion about athletes versus football players. Right. He's a football player. He's a football um, player. So you looked up the grades and the highest grader on defense was, was Dax. Was Dax? And the second he beat out Tisdale by like two points. Yeah. Now Tisdale played more snaps. It was like, I forget the exact number. 37 versus 29. So Dax played something. a decent number. He did. He, he, had, he had a, a decent number. Solo six. tackle, four assists, five total. Tisdale, three solo tackles and assists. Both had five. Right. 
But so, so talking about Dax and, and Ashby, you know, uh, there there are times Ashby's a uh, he's a very good Mike. There are times where teams do get him out in the open field, and you can see the the lack of change of direction. He had a he had a rough game in pass coverage against Rhode Island. Did he? Rough. Well, yeah. Like like six of they they went after him nine times and completed six of them. Ashby. Yes. And I remember Raleigh Hokey writing for us back in the day that uh, you know one of the more impressive things about Vince Hall was how good he was in in pass coverage. Mm-hmm. Um, which is kind of an underappreciated part of a, a Mike's performance. Matua Puaka was great in pass coverage. Yeah. He really struggled until his senior year against the run, but he was elite in pass coverage. Yeah, yeah. and and I remember Raleigh saying that, that the big thing with Mike's is how deep do they take their drops? Yeah. Do they do a good job cutting off the passing lane? Mm-hmm. And I remember a play against Clemson in 2007 down at Clemson where uh, he took he took the perfect depth – and I don't remember who Clemson's quarterback was at the time, but the Streeter, guy threw a pass. Probably. I think Streeter was in the 90s. I'm talking about the 2007 game. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, the quarterback threw a pass across the middle, and Vince Hall, not an athletic guy, but he jumped as high as he could and extended himself as far as he could and did tip the ball. And I just remember Riley pointing that out as, as textbook Mike linebacker coverage. You don't expect him to be great in the open field. Um, so, you know, segue into talking about Dax, and you see Dax having to make do so much in the open field. And in my opinion, there's, there's enough film on Dax this year that regardless of all the work he did and the weight loss and all that, he's, he's limited. So... So don't my point is don't watch Dax this year and think man that that guy's never going to be any good. We've said over and over he's playing out of position. Yeah. And um yeah and I've come to believe that that's absolutely true, you know. So I'm 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 I really hope he does get to move to Mike one day. I want to see how he does there. Now I don't think Dax has as heavy a shoulder as Ashby does, but maybe that's because he's in the open field so much. Instead of just between the tackles, right. you've got your one gap. Uh now, we don't know what Virginia Tech's defensive scheme is going to be after this yeah, year. Yeah, that's the thing. We have all these discussions. We have all these discussions. They might be – they might not matter at all next year. We don't know whether it's going to be a variation of a 4-3 where your outside linebacker is kind of like your whip and he plays a lot of zone, uh, in which case that would probably be Tisdale. And then your middle linebacker and then your strong side linebacker or or Dax and Rayshard Ashby. Um could be a four-two-five like Virginia Tech runs now, uh, and you don't know. I mean, right now, Tech plays their backer on the boundary side of the field, the short side of the field, all the time. You know, most defenses run a weak side linebacker and a strong side linebacker, where the strong side linebacker always aligns to the run strength of the defense, and the weak side linebacker always aligns to the passing strength. So there's just so many different defensive schemes and everything out there and we don't know what Virginia Tech is going to be running next year so we can't make projections but we do know that you know if Tech happened to run the same scheme next year that Dax should be playing Mike because nah. uh, that's his most natural position he a middle linebacker position I believe uh, uh, keep him out of space I think he needs needs to be inside the tackle box one thing about Tisdale he did have one of the three sacks also had two tackles for loss which led any of the Hokies uh, defensive players and the last one I'll bring up uh, is Chamari Connor had a sack and to me you know watching the, the the film and not knowing as much of the X's and O's as you guys know it just feels like Chamari Connor is all over the field I can't think of anything he does poorly um, he's he's physical when he tackles I'm not saying he lowers the boom you just I talked about that play against Miami where he was getting blocked by the tight end and he shed the block and stopped DJ he just Dallas sort of body tracks people he's he's just he's just a 
hard guy to move. I remember watching one of my kids, I was talking about him earlier, Ronan, watching him play youth soccer when he was a little kid. And he would run along and, and get involved in, in chasing the ball with other kids, and other kids would just hit him and fall at his side. Some people are like that. They're just, they're just very physical in their nature, and other people bounce off of them. And, and Chamari's like that. And we've seen him making plays in the backfield. We've seen him 20 yards downfield in coverage. That guy is just, you know, I can't say enough about him. He's, he's got two more years here. And you, you take an old-school Virginia Tech defense where the whip linebacker was hugely important. That guy would be something you could build around. Yeah, no doubt. Um, Tech's defense is much better when they have a playmaker at that position. Yeah. And he's certainly that. He should be on every hard, smart, tough poster next year. Because, <laughs> I mean, that, that guy is strong and he's tough. Yeah. 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 And – um, you know, we've talked about this before. There are some, there are some good building blocks on that defense. Mm-hmm. Um, Tisdale is, is very athletic and moves well in space. Uh, you've got Connor. We like the corners. Mm-hmm. Need to do some work at safety. We like the defensive tackles. Um, you know, the, the ends, uh, you know, Chris has been saying all along, talking about Belmar and how he's not, quote, the most ath- uh, athletic guy. I see that. But I see I see Garbett making plays that mm-hmm. are very athletic. Four Jimmy tackles. Griffith's athletic. Yeah, you know, and, and Bud's been putting those guys in coverage, so you, you do get to see them in open space and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. Do you remember your, your scouting report on Amari Barno? Do you? Yeah. Um, he was a safety in high school, and then he played kind of a whip role in, in JUCO. Uh, they got him at backer, which is neither one. Isn't right. he like 6'6", 235? Yeah, yeah. Um, they're redshirting him. And Does he have two years or three years? Do you two. remember? He'll have two after this year, okay. after his redshirt year. Um, so Tisdale's your backer, so you can't really leave him a backer, right? We don't know what scheme tech's going to run, right. so who knows? We but know he's redshirting. He could be a fit at some kind of outside linebacker role or defensive end. Stand-up defensive um, end, pass rushing right. specialist. Yes, you I, know, think he, I think he has the talent to help Virginia Tech next year. I just don't know where because I don't know what scheme they're going to be running. Right, right. And, okay. No, that's no, no, a valid point, and uh, I think we will close before we get to the, 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 the questions on Facebook with, I think uh, – what we'll probably talk more about Wednesday, and maybe it's the biggest takeaway from the Rhode Island game in terms of what's going to affect the North Carolina game, and that's Reggie Floyd targeting, ejected in the second half, unavailable for the first half against North Carolina, as Chris tweeted on Twitter. With Floyd suspended for the first half of next week's game, Tech won't have a single senior starter. I've been following VT football for over 25 years, and this is the first time I can remember that ever happening. On the entire team. We're not just talking defense. We're talking the entire team. So, yeah, your seniors are Floyd, who's suspended. Willis, who's a backup quarterback. Tyrell Smith, who's a backup lineman and out for the year with an injury. Quillen, who's a backup corner. Uh, And then Ishmael Ciche, who's – Went on scholarship. Went on scholarship year. just this year and play some special teams, and that's it. Yeah. Um, so no senior starters now with Floyd suspended. Uh, I, I don't know whether that's a bad thing or a good thing. Quite frankly, looks like that'll be uh, Hunter who steps in for him. Correct? Probably. Yeah. They're they're, they're going to give. I I've heard they're not happy with Floyd's play this year. He's the lowest grading defensive starter. He's progressively gotten worse since he was a sophomore. And I love Reggie, and I hate to say Everybody this, loves Reggie, but, but But he's a great teammate. They gave him the number one for a reason. Um, but you can use the PFF numbers, or you can use your own eyeballs. He's not as good a football player as he was two years ago. Yeah. Um, his angles are poor. Uh, 
doesn't tackle well. It's just getting lost in coverage. Get, getting, but getting, I, get, I, I've, I've heard that, that Fuente and Bud think they need a new starting rover. Yeah. Now, whether they can find one or not is, is, is the big question. Um, they're going to really push Hunter, and I think they're going to move Ladler there for this week also because he's played Rover in the past, uh, not necessarily in a game, but but you know he was that was his, initi- his initial position yeah. I think uh, when he redshirted. So they're really going to push those guys this week. Um, if and if whoever wins that battle this week and starts against uh, North Carolina, if he has a good first half, I think they might keep him in there for the second half. Yeah. Because they're they're really trying to find a way to make a switch there is is what I understand. Now they they would not admit that publicly, and I wouldn't either if I were them. Yeah. But it, but but really, you know, Di- Diablo's been up and down, but in general he's been better than Floyd. I, I just feel like Tech's defense would be so much better if they had good rover play. Uh, I mean, I I think I think ro- Rover and Quillen basically amounted to about half the yards that that Rhode Island gained the other day. Interesting. Um, you know, you, you look at that defense, and the defensive ends have lost contain here and there, giving up big runs, and I think most of those are on Emmanuel Belmar. Yeah, when, and, when but notice how play. each time it's always to the boundary also because that's the side offensive coordinators are attacking because that's where Dax and Reggie are. Right. And they're, they're taking Dax is out of Dax position, and Reggie's not having a good year. Yeah, so, so you, got, you, you look at 11 guys on defense, and you're getting – you're getting pretty good play, not necessarily dynamic, explosive play. Some of it is, some of it isn't. From probably eight of the positions, mm-hmm. you know, and and offensive coordinators aren't dumb; they watch film, you know, and, and they know where to go. Good discussion there. I think that's a good place for us to put a halt on the podcast until we get to. Although the one thing we haven't discussed is the nickname for the gnome. Oh, that's right. You so, take the lead on that. Go ahead. Will. So, Malcolm, can you put the gnome on camera? Yep. So. Uh, we were, we were taking names for the gnome uh, during the podcast uh, um, last uh, last week, last time we did a podcast. And there were a couple of decent ones. And then Turkey Trot suggested on the, the board that we call him the Terror Gnome. So I think, we, I think we have a winner, you know. And then somebody else, you need to get that guy a little lunch pail. Got and, the lunch pail. And then he, so he's got a little lunch pail now. And I said, you know uh, – what you need is one of those lunch pail keychains. And then I turned around and looked at my shelf in the office a day later. One. I was like, oh, look, I have a lunch pail keychain. That's where I've seen one. So so we have the terror gnome, and he has a lunch pail. There we go. I love that. Uh, Hokey trot. Good suggestion. Turkey trot. Turkey trot. Thank yes. you. Mm-hmm. That was a great suggestion. Uh, Malcolm, how's it going over there, my friend? It's going well. What uh, What's going on <clears throat> on Facebook? Uh. Well, what, something I want to get y'all's opinion on is: it safe to say Willis is done, or is he not coming back for a few games? Or? Oh, he's done. It looks that uh, way. I mean, honestly, Willis is su- such a physical talent, a big arm, good straight-ahead speed. You know, he's what you what you want as a coach. I mean, even Hendon Hooker said before the the season started, he said, "Man, I wish I had a cannon like Willis." Yeah. Um, so if you're a coach, you got a guy like Willis. You you wait for the light to come on. Right, because when it does, he's going to be really good. You wait and you wait and you wait, and it just doesn't come on. And at some point, you realize it, and then then you pull the plug. And I think that's pretty much what happened. Injury and the situation a wide receiver helped kick that along. And he started oh, turning it over. And he started turning yeah, it over. Right, that's the big and it, that, he didn't turn it over last year. He did a good job limiting his turnovers yeah, last yeah. year. Um, so yeah, I think that's over with. He can't run the offense. 
The complete offense. The complete well, offense, yeah. right. He can throw now, the ball downfield as well as anybody. They had Hendon Hooker throwing fades the other day against Rhode Island, and I was thinking, here's where you're missing Ryan Wells. Right, yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that ship is sailed, barring an injury to, Hendry, to Hendon Hooker. Yeah, and, and that's the thing is that Willis needs to stay dialed in and know that, that he could be the guy again after one play, you know, so. Mm. Uh, how seriously can we take production numbers from Saturday? I mean, Rhode Island really isn't that good. Yeah, right. Uh, can't take them all that seriously. Uh, you know, 34 points doesn't sound great, but Tech only had eight possessions. And you, uh, you, said, that you, you said they ran 68 plays, right? Right. That's but eight and a half plays per possession. That, that's, that's actually the second most plays we've run this year in a game, believe it or not. Um but just we didn't have the ball that often, and we'd drive it a long way yeah. each time we had it, except for that, that one punt. Uh, but they really wanted to limit the opportunities Tech had to score, and they did that. If this had been a Tech's normal 11, 12, 13 possession game, they would have put up 50-plus points and well over 600 yards. Yeah, yep. Um, so, I, so look at it in that. I look at it in, in, the, in, that, in that standpoint. Uh, the big thing I took away was that Hendon played well for the second week in a row, and – Really threw some balls that gave me confidence in his future. Like, they schemed him into a good game, a good passing game against Miami, but he really showed the physical tools throwing the football, I think, this week, and that makes me feel good about his progression. Cool. Uh, where's Hezekiah Grimsley? Uh, you know, he. Uh, I noticed him in there early at outside receiver. Yeah. Um, that's a good question. Um, not Virginia Tech's – receiver depth is pretty much non-existent right now yeah um and he just seems like a guy who hasn't been able to find his place for whatever reason um he's a guy that can play inside out or outside and you know i I agree he's a guy that needs to be involved and there there was an article i don't know how many weeks ago apparently there are some issues at home yeah, with his um, mother. The article was vague. He didn't get into it. Mm-hmm. Some Sometimes guys get into it and they say, well, this is going on at home. Yeah. And uh, all that we got from that article was that something's going on at right. home. And he's from uh, Williamsburg, correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So who knows? We uh, Honestly, we don't, we don't know what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. So regarding the uh, student engagement, Joanna – Casto, I hope I pronounced that right. Yeah, she used to uh, she used to be a neighbor of mine in Christiansburg years ago. Yeah, she's got a long comment. I'll condense it, but uh, she said what made her son's experience this weekend besides the win was he got to go down on the sidelines. His sister is in the Marching Virginians. Uh, he walked on the sideline, got a picture with Bud Foster, stayed after the game, and a few of the players came up in the stands, and he got a picture with Dax. I think that's beautiful. You know, that's great, but you also can't do that for all 30,000 of your students in the game. <laughs> that's right. Um, so it's nice, uh, and it's not – yeah, so I think it brings up a point that they are they are doing things when they have the opportunity on an individual basis. I think the tech players are great with fans. Um, Absolutely. One of the things I got to looking at was uh, Danny Joe Hurl, is that her name? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, did you see oh, yeah. that um, – the, the support that the basketball team, the football team, yeah, for um, that that is a an individual that the players have really connected with. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's it's a long story. Just Danny Joe spells it D A N I. Yep. J O. Correct. I think Hurl H E A R L. Their their parents are very her parents are very active on Twitter. So just look up the. 
I can't remember the the dad's uh, Twitter handle. I think it's Hurl Family. Hurl Family, right? So just look that up and go through some of that. The that, best tech fan of, I mean, yeah, you know, she's you know, and and there's a very strong bond there between all of the tech athletes and that particular girl. There, and, I'm sorry. Go ahead. There's there's an issue with football. There's no intimacy with football because we're sitting hundreds of feet away and they're a long way away with their helmets and on and we helmets. can't see their facial yeah. expressions. Go down to Center Street or even in Champs on Saturday night and they're in the Kill Alexander Walker Pelicans jerseys everywhere mm-hmm. because basketball is an intimate sport. You sit in Castle Coliseum, you can see those guys' facial expressions. You can understand them a little more as people. You can read their emotions. Uh, so... Tech students really connected with the basketball team over the last few years. And uh, guys like Nikhil and Justin Robinson and Ahmed Hill, who have charisma, basketball is a really good sport for them, especially in an intimate setting like Castle. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's a popular sport at Tech right now. But because of the players, and, and it's hard to get to know football players because they're way down. They're so far away. They're wearing helmets. And I can't remember if I ever talked about this on the podcast before, but I've probably written about it. I've, I've forgotten who the NBA commissioner was in the 70s, but the NBA in the, in the early 70s had a problem. They had an image problem. A lot of their players were on drugs. There was no connection with the fans. And whoever took over as commissioner in the mid-late 70s understood what you just talked about, that you can establish relationships with players in basketball easier than you can in football. And I think up to that point, you know, players were important, but this commissioner also got very lucky that Bird and Magic and a few years later Michael Jordan all entered the league at the same time, and they played on that. They, they emphasized they already had Dr. J. So you remember the stars of the late 70s, early 80s, Julius Irving, uh, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, and Michael Jordan. And they, they built the popularity of NBA basketball on that connection with the individuals. You know, so, and and I, I read about that one time and I thought that, that's really smart and that's a good point. And, you know, one of the issues, it's not a big issue, but I noticed at one point during the game they played a video of Dax on the scoreboard. Mm-hmm. And I looked down, on it was at the beginning of a defensive drive. And I looked out on the field. It was probably a 30-second video of Dax. So they're trying to get the crowd engaged with Dax, right? They're trying to make him seem a little more human to to 60,000 people. Look down on the field. He's not in the game. Tisdale's in the game that drive. So you look at posters, uh, schedule cards. He's on one of the game tickets this year. So much of their marketing has been was built around Dax this year. Because, and Reggie also, I think. But right. But because he's a likable guy and he was a highly touted recruit, quite frankly. He picked tech over Clemson. Yeah. And he's just He's, he's been, well, he's playing out of position. Yeah, he's been so, put so, in a bad so we don't position. want to we don't want to put it on him completely because yeah. it's mostly not his fault. But he's been taken out of the spotlight by someone who can play that position better. So he's kind of in that weird limbo where he's he's a marketing tool but not not playing very much no it's not yeah, like he's, it's he's strange he's, yeah uh, and and reggie's kind of in the same spot where you know reggie is uh reggie went down to the acc football kickoff right he did yeah um so they put reggie out there's one of the faces of the program reggie deserves that they gave him number one got the number one well the players gave that to yes him, yeah, you know yeah. but it's yeah I, I was actually pondering that it 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 it's difficult to replace guys like that when you look at the production and you want different production. Mm-hmm. 
More, more, maybe Malcolm. Anything else? Yeah, we actually just got a good comment from Daniel Charlton. He says, "Do you feel that Quincy and Hendon could be a dynamic duo next season? QP is a player who seems to be poised for greatness. Just one play off. It's partly to do with the elite eleven clout that he brought, but we're excited to see him contribute." Yeah, I don't like quarterback. You know, switches tandems. Tandems. <laughs> uh, generally, I think when teams do that, it's because they they stink. I mean, <laughs> they're looking for something. And they're, they're looking for Remember when spot, Alabama did it a couple of years ago well, with the guy right. who transferred to UVA, Philip right. Sims, and I'm sorry, I'm getting away. But wow. st- Alabama well, at one point did a two quarterback system. At the beginning of the season. Correct. And then they figure out that Sims wasn't any good and they end up starting the other guy. And they were right. right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Sims transferred to Hampton, William and Mary, something like that. Something where he finished like his that, career. Yeah. Anyway. So, and, and this, this is completely leaving out Braxton Burmeister, who, uh, you know, I don't know. Right. I think Burmeister would be number two right now if he was uh, on the raw. But, well, no, I will say this. I don't like having two completely different quarterbacks. Like, you're trying to – comparing Ryan Willis to Hendon Hooker, you're comparing two different offenses. You have to run two different offenses for each guy. Right. Now, to be fair, you know, if Quincy Patterson, if he's the backup, it's a, you can run the same offense. You know, you don't have to – have two different game plans. If that, that was the odd thing about the Duke game is you played two completely different quarterbacks and neither guy is, is, is the type that can run the exact same offense. Yeah. So that was just uh, – that was a bad situation from the very beginning, trying to play two different quarterbacks and design one game plan for both of them. So to answer the question, dynamic duo, was that the phrase that we used? Mm-hmm. I don't think so. I don't. No. I think most coaches don't prefer to do that unless yeah. they're grasping for unless something. Unless they're grasping at yeah. something, for sure. The, I, the think, most, I think Steve Spurrier used to do it back in the day to light a fire under his start and right. yank him and replace yeah, him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, now, the, the, most, the best handled quarterback flip-flopping situation that I've seen was really like 2007, yeah, how Steiny handled uh, Glennon and Taylor. That was He did a great job. Yeah. But they were two completely different quarterbacks. Yeah. And, and you could – you know, you bring in Tyrod to get a running spark. You let him throw it a little bit, so you make so you know defenses have to keep him honest to a certain extent. But uh, yeah, I, I think you go with Hendon at this point, unless somebody just proves to be better than him in practice. But I'm tired of changing quarterbacks every year. I want and Hendon. I know Fuente is too. I know, I know and, th- and that's probably one of the reasons they were so late to, to switch to Hooker is because right. they just didn't want to change again. Um, so I, at this point, I want Hendon Hooker to be a three-year starter for Tech. Or two and a half year starter, or yeah. or whatever it ends up. But at some point, you just got to pick somebody and build around them. And to me, right now, he looks like that guy. And I don't want to mess with that chemistry. We'll see where the rest of it goes. Yeah, yeah, and certainly there's a lot of quarterbacks in the room right now. When you add Burmeister and Hooker and Patterson and all those guys for next and year, and Knox Kadem and his kickoff returns. Oh <laughs> my gosh. So we can't let that comment go without clarifying. I, I sit in the seats and they kick off to number twelve. African-American wearing number 12, returning to kickoff, and the PA announcer comes on and says, Knox Kadem returns to kickoff. No. He did. He messed up twice. He said, returning the kickoff is number 35, Kashawn King, and number, and number 12, 12, Knox, Knox Kadem. Kadem. And then when they kicked I, it to number 12, he called him Knox I, Kadem I, again. I thought somebody would tap him on the shoulder and correct no, him, no, no, but no, nobody no, 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 did. No. <laughs> he called him Knox Kadem again. Knox Kadem is a quarterback redshirting. A Caucasian quarterback. Right, right, who is redshirting this year. 
so yeah, you got two number twelves right there on your roster. One says cornerback, one says quarterback. Did Guess what? Re- it's not the quarterback who's returning the kick. So Taysom so, Hill's returning kicks for New Orleans. I mean, uh, you never, uh, okay. did, 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 did you watch the Miami-Virginia game on uh, Friday night? I did. I watched the fourth quarter. So Miami's punter's number 94, and ESPN oh, put gosh. up the graphic all game long that Trayvon Hill was punting. Oh, my gosh. They kept putting it up. over The first time they did it, I thought, oh, I can't believe they did that. And then Ox VT screen-capped. Late third quarter, they're still calling the punter in the graphics, Trayvon Hill. Now, here's my point. It's one thing when some intern at ESPN who's making up the graphics gets it wrong. It's another thing when your own PA announcer is calling uh, – who's number uh, – Nasir yeah, Nadir, Nadir Thompson. Nadir Thompson. It's calling Nadir Thompson Knox Kaden when your own guy is doing it. Yeah, you got to get somebody with the right voice, but he needs to have a basic knowledge of Virginia Tech's roster. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Well, well, listen, we went over an hour today. I know you guys are extremely busy on Monday. So uh, let's uh, let's cap the Facebook questions there. Thank you, okay. as always, to those uh, for uh, commenting and some great stuff today. Um, I know you guys are busy. So what is coming up this week on TechSideline.com? What are you guys going to be working oh, on? Oh, typical today? week. Let me jump in first and say I usually do a Monday article. Uh, I might try to get something done for Tuesday. Um, I'll... You know, there won't be anything coming from me today. Oh, well, in that case, I can do it inside of the numbers today, today. and you can do right. something tomorrow. Yeah. We can just flip-flop it. Yeah. And, okay. you know, after that, typical week. Fantastic. Yeah. Awesome uh, content all the way. Yep. Yeah. Game preview on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Tech Sideline Podcast back on Wednesday. Looking forward to uh, previewing. So, will, will we have, uh, is it Brandon that previews the opponent? Will he do a UNC yeah. article for us? Yeah. Good. Yeah. That's it's getting serious. This is a huge game coming up. Of course, mm-hmm. we can leave that for Wednesday's podcast, but I'm interested in hearing what Brandon has to say about UNC. And I'll leave it at this because we will bring it up. All of a sudden, with the, uh, UVA losing to Miami, the coastal race is just crazy as ever. If Virginia can... Tech beats UNC, and I can't remember the other game Pittsburgh? that's pivotal. Uh, Duke and Virginia? Probably Duke and Virginia. You'll, you'll wind up with a bunch of teams that are with, with two, two losses. losses, and I think maybe one team with one loss. Um, Which would be Duke. If, if games break a certain way. Right. Yeah. You don't want Duke to be that. What you want is you want – is it Virginia and Duke that are playing this weekend? I think. If you're a Virginia Tech fan, you want Virginia to win that because Duke. Duke's got the head-to-head tiebreaker. you still got Virginia that you can beat at the yeah. end of the year if you need to break a tie. Yeah. I still – I don't know. I, I, I think I'd feel better. Duke's going to lose again at least once. They're, they're not that good. So, I would actually feel better if they went ahead and knocked Virginia back to two ACC losses. Okay, uh, fair enough. That, that's that's my take. And we could get into it on Wednesday, but it's just you know we talk about the Duke game and everything that happened. Then two weeks later, all of a sudden Virginia Tech is in contention for the Coastal race, and and uh, every team in this division has huge weaknesses. Huge weaknesses. Well, you know there there were years there where the Coastal didn't Virginia Tech win it five and three two we, years in a row. And, and well. Uh, 2008, Virginia Tech won it with a 5-3 and three record. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, that'll do it for this week's edition of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Guys, as always, appreciate your time. Great show, and uh, looking forward to Wednesday. Yep. Yep. All right, for our producer behind the scenes, Malcolm Stewart, our managing editor, Chris Coleman, our founder and head honcho, Will Stewart. I am your podcast host, Evan Hughes, saying so long. Thanks so much for listening today. I hope you can join us live on Facebook at 930 on Wednesday for the Tech Sideline Podcast. Of course, it will be archived. Again, this has been the Tech Sideline Podcast presented by the Fisher Law Firm. Mm-hmm.